Good morning, Grace. Uh, like Haley said, we are live here today. David and Olivia are sitting right there. Like we're super close. Um, I just want to say this right off the bat. If I leave the the viewfinder or whatever you call that thing on the camera, if you if I disappear, it's because I don't have a chair to hold me still, and I like to move around a little bit. So if if I just leave and you're like, where'd Sam go? I'll be back in just a second uh, on my way back as I go that way. But I'll try to hold still. Um, this is the first time I've preached standing up since the last time we were in the high school. So it's been a little bit over three months. Um, so this is all new to me. And also, uh, you noticed Haley would look at the camera and then she'd look away. That's because there are other people in this room. Uh, so I'm preaching to them and to you. So camera, you're one person, a.k.a. lots of people, hopefully, right? Hopefully there's more than one person watching that. And then there's all these other people here. So I'm going to go back and forth. All right, a couple things before I start. Number one, my guy, Corbin Drake. I hear you dressed up just for me today. You probably didn't know it was my birthday, but it is my birthday. So uh, thank you for wearing a Mr. Duke shirt or a Mr. Sam shirt on my birthday. That means a lot to me, buddy. Okay, that was number one. Number two, like Haley said, we're going to be doing this more often. This week and next week are going to be kind of previews. Um, for this. And then on the 28th, we are going to have three, maybe four different locations where we're going to be gathering together as larger groups. And so um, hopefully next Sunday, we will have a, a registration on the website and we'll give you instructions on how to use that where you can go and be like, oh, I want to go to this one or that one, or I don't like this person. And well, hopefully you're not doing it that way, but you actually will be able to go on the website and register and attend church. This is new. Like Haley said, it's going to be a little bit weird, but we're going to do it together and we're just going to push into it. So there we go. Sermon. All right, here we go. Uh, we are in the middle of a, 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 a big series on um, as we walk through the Bible, the year of biblical literacy. And right now, as we have finished up the Old Testament and are walking into the New Testament, we're doing a series on Jesus as we read through the Gospels. And so two weeks ago, Actually, three weeks ago, we did uh, Jesus as Messiah, and then last week we did Jesus as rabbi or teacher. This week, we're going to talk about Jesus as healer. Now, this is, uh, we, you know, this is kind of a controversial subject um, from time to time. We're not going to get into a lot of controversy. I'm sure something I will say will cause controversy, but that's okay. That's what we do. Um, but here's what I just want to say real quick before we get into the book of Mark. We're not dissecting Jesus, right? As we talk about these different aspects of Jesus' ministry and who he was, we're not dissecting him. We're actually working to expand our knowledge of him, right? So we're not like uh, going through Jesus with a fine-tooth comb. Um, we're actually working hard at expanding our view of who Jesus is and who he was as a man. As a man, and bottom line is, whenever we focus on Jesus, we're better for it, right? Like that's—I mean, we're Jesus followers, we're disciples of Jesus, so that should be what we're doing all the time. And we worked hard at doing that as we walked through the Old Testament. Every week, we we basically worked hard at at seeing how that passage or how that topic in the Old Testament was actually pointing us to Jesus, right? And so that's what we're going to do here again today. We are going to be in Mark chapter 2. Before we get there, how does the book of Mark basically start? In chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus himself says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so there's the gospels 
uh, summed up. There is the ministry of Jesus summed up in its entirety. The time is fulfilled. Uh, the time has come, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So there we have the purpose and the kind of the whole outline for Jesus' ministry in a nutshell. This is what Jesus is here for. This is why he is on the earth uh, for us to repent and believe in the gospel, right? And so now we're not going to get into uh, everything uh, that that implies because that is a huge, huge thing, but we're going to talk about one part of it. Now, in teaching and living the kingdom of God, Jesus is preaching the rule of God. Okay, so the kingdom of God is ruled by who? It's ruled by God, right? And so this is, if you watch the Bible Project video on uh, heaven and earth, they do a really good job of kind of um, addressing what is going on here. Jesus is bringing heaven to earth, and heaven and earth as two different realities are being uh, molded back into one as they were in the beginning, as God intended before the fall, before the brokenness of sin entered the earth. And so that's a really cool way to see that. You can watch the Bible Project's video on heaven and earth. Another really interesting way that we see this is, if you remember, most of you have read the, uh, the C.S. Lewis book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's a couple different scenes in that book or in the movie, if you've watched the movie and not read the book. Um, there's, one, there's one aspect. When, when the children first go to Narnia, what season is it? It's winter, right? There's snow everywhere. And there's a line at a certain point in the movie where they say it's always winter, never Christmas. And so there's a scene in the movie where uh, Santa Claus actually shows up and starts giving out gifts, and, that, and, that, and they kind of view that as a sign that something is happening, right? It's always winter, never Christmas, and now all of a sudden Christmas is here, something is stirring. And about that same time in the book and in the movie, the snow starts to melt. And so that's what we're experiencing as we see Jesus come on the scene in the Gospels is that this idea that it's always winter, never Christmas is starting to end. The snow is melting, uh, but what we see in the Gospels is that the people have a hard time understanding what's going on. And so that's what we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 2. Again, before we get there, uh, if you look at Luke chapter 4, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in Jesus' first sermon. Right? In Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. He says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that's Jesus' first official sermon. I remember my first official sermon. It didn't go anything like that. Um, Back in the day, I used to like to use lots of videos and lots of props and lots of stories and jokes and illustrations. Um, there's, no, there's no props here other than the scroll. Um, there's no videos. <laughs> there's no illustrations. Jesus just reads the Old Testament and says, that's about me. And it might be the most significant sermon ever preached in the history of mankind. Um, 
So here he is. He speaks on the kingdom of God, breaking in. He reads Isaiah and says, this is about me, and here's what the Messiah is going to do. Now, fast forward a couple chapters. Luke chapter 7. We're, we're getting to Mark 2. We're not there yet. Okay, Luke chapter 7. John the Baptist, right? Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest man that ever lived. And he came as the forerunner for Jesus. And then, John gets arrested and put in jail. So, Jesus starts his ministry and has some questions for Jesus. Okay, so let's start. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, all the things that Jesus was doing. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Okay, so John, the forerunner of Jesus, the one that baptized Jesus, that watched the Holy Spirit come out of heaven like a dove and set himself on Jesus, who heard the voice of God saying, this is my son and who I'm well pleased, as now saying, are you the one to, us to come or should we look for another? Like he's confused. Why is he confused? Okay, we're, we're going to get there in a minute. Verse 20, and when the men had come to him, Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Look at Jesus' response. Okay, he, he, he speaks a response and he acts a response. Okay, in verse 21, in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. So they ask him a question, what does he do? He turns around and starts healing people. Right? Then, after he does that, He's, and then he answered them, verse 22, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, in a sense, Jesus just repeated what he preached in Luke chapter 4, but if we're careful, we, we notice that he left a part out. That whole part about the, the captives being set free. Jesus didn't quote that part. So what he's saying to John the Baptist is, yes, I am the one who is to come, but it might not look how you think it's going to look. See, part of the reason that, that John was confused is that he's sitting in prison. He thought, wait a second, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to take care of all of this, and now I'm sitting in prison. What in the heck is going on? And Jesus' response is, I am here, I am doing all of these things, but it isn't necessarily going to look how you think. John the Baptist, the one that paved the way for the Messiah, even he had some misunderstandings about what the Messiah was going to do. All right. Mark chapter 2. Here we go. Verse 1. When he had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. So Jesus goes home, right? And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So Jesus is in a house, um, and, and he's preaching the word to the people in the house, and the, the house is packed, probably more packed than this one. Okay? And verse 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down, let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, let's talk about this for a second. Okay, so uh, Jesus is preaching in someone's house, probably the house of one of his disciples, and uh, these four men coming come to him carrying uh, their friend who's paralyzed. 
and they can't get into the house because the crowd is so dense. There's so many people listening to Jesus preach. They take the man up on the roof and they do a demo job. Okay, This is a major remodel project going on right here. And so uh, in the Jesus movies, typically what you see is that they go up on the roof and they take off the four palm branches, right? There's four palm branches there that are the, the roof of this house, which probably isn't realistic. Um, there probably was clay tiles with mud, with more clay tiles, with branches. This was a major demolition project. They just ruined somebody's roof. Okay, At some point, one of the four men had to go, this is probably not a good idea. Okay, They just ruined this guy's roof. Um, in fact, I heard one commentator say that this was probably Peter's house. And so if I'm Peter, I'm going, Jesus, I just left the family business for you, and now my roof got ruined. How am I going to pay for this? Right? So here we go. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Do we have this kind of desperate faith? Like when's the last time I went to this, these measures because I wanted something from Jesus so badly? They just destroyed someone's house because they were so desperate for their friend to get healed. And they believed firmly enough that Jesus could heal their friend that they were willing to destroy someone's property. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, so like the, the bed comes down out of the roof, right? Imagine this, like right now I'm preaching, right? I'm not Jesus, but I'm preaching and all of a sudden the roof tears apart and somebody comes down. That's weird. Right? Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm the paralyzed guy, I'm sitting on this bed, I'm being lowered down through the roof to Jesus' feet, the man who I'm hoping can make me walk, I get down there, he looks at me and says, What? Your sins are forgiven? That's not what they expected. It's probably not what they came there for. Right? It's kind of like John the Baptist. They came looking for something and Jesus gives them something else. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has a way of blowing up paradigms. Now, take the viewpoint of the crowd, right? Jesus has been healing people. There's a reason these guys believe that Jesus can heal their friend. Because Jesus has been healing people. So now, they're coming hoping probably to witness some of these things, witness some of these miracles, witness some of this greatness, the roof gets torn off, paralyzed guy comes down, and they probably all knew this guy. They knew that this guy was paralyzed. He comes lowered out of the roof, and what's the anticipation like in the room? It's thick, right? Ooh, what's Jesus going to do now? Your sins are forgiven. A lot of confusion, right? If we're honest and we're part of that crowd, there's confusion happening right now because they live in a culture where sins are are forgiven by one person in one way. They're forgiven only by God and only through the sacrifices. So all of a sudden, Jesus says to this paralytic, whom they're hoping he's going to say, get up and walk. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, verse 6. Some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? alone. Now this is interesting because these guys are there because they think Jesus might be the Messiah. 
But according to them, not even the Messiah could forgive sins. Okay? Only God could forgive sins. The Messiah was coming to set them free from their oppressors. God forgave sins. So now here this guy comes saying, I'm the Messiah. This, book, this scroll of Isaiah has been fulfilled in your presence. Your sins are forgiven. A little confusing. And they, remember said Jesus said, blessed is the man who is not offended by me. They're offended. They're offended by Jesus. Somebody comes to him asking for healing and he says, heal your body. I heal your heart. I heal your soul. Your sins are forgiven. They misunderstood who their enemies were. The enemies that they thought that they were being freed from were the Romans, the Persians, the Babylonians, and Jesus sets them free from sin and death. They misunderstood who their enemies were. Verse 8, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they questioned within themselves. This is the best part about so many of these stories is that they'll have these thoughts and then Jesus will read their minds and then answer their thoughts. That's weird. Okay? He said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now this is where the crux of the matter is. Because if we're honest... Um, the idea of forgiveness of sins can sometimes get a little boring. Yay, Jesus forgave my sins, I get to go to heaven. But you raise somebody back from the dead, you make somebody that's paralyzed walk, then I'll believe in you. So Jesus' question here is, what's, what's greater? What takes more authority? What takes more power to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, you now are in right standing with God, the creator of the universe, or to say to this man, rise up and walk. What's greater? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, he calls himself the Son of Man. That's a tip of the hat back to Daniel, the book that we just spent two months in, right? Again, he's claiming to be someone when he says the Son of Man. He's referring it to himself. They would have known what he was saying. He said to the paralytic, verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So here's what we want to point out right now. Jesus is healing hundreds, thousands of people. But right here in Mark chapter 2, we have a very, very, very clear statement about what Jesus actually came to do. Jesus came to forgive sins. He came to set them free from sin and death, from the brokenness of sin, and to make them right with God. Can Jesus heal? Yes. Did He heal? Yes. Does He still heal? Yes. But why do we come to Him? All right, there's another story in the New Testament where Jesus feeds 5,000 and then He sends the crowds away and they keep coming back and then He tells some more parables and basically tells them, you just came to Me so that you could have full bellies. You don't really want what I have to offer. And then they all leave because He's right. 
And how often are we guilty of the same thing? We want Jesus has to offer, but we don't really want Jesus. We don't really want to have our sins forgiven. Why? Because we don't think we're that bad. Okay? In, in Jesus' day, the, the offense was saying, I can forgive sins. What's the offense in our day? To saying that we're, saying that we're sinners is the offense today. Okay? Not even preachers are allowed to say that. We're allowed to say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, which is very true, which is why Jesus died for you. But Jesus had to die. Why? Because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And so am I. The scripture is very clear about the fact that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. Jesus comes offering that forgiveness, but we want full bellies. We want full bellies. Listen, in no way, shape, or form do I, am I trying to minimize human suffering, human healing, and our desire, and our desire should be for healing, right? We should desire for healing to happen. But is Jesus enough? Is what Jesus came to offer us enough, whether he heals or not? That's the question we have to ask. That's the question every person on earth has to ask. Am I going to follow Jesus no matter what? Or if I'm going to follow him only if he gives me these things? In Mark chapter 10, uh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's a blind man, Bartimaeus. Uh, he comes to Jesus and Jesus asks him a question, what do you want me to do for you? We have to ask the same question. What do we want Jesus to do for us? What do we want Jesus to do for us? Why are we coming to him? Is it because we want full bellies? Is it because we we have things that we want healed? Or is it because Jesus is the only place where our souls and our hearts can find healing? David Brooks is a writer for the New York Times. uh, And I got this quote from uh, Reality San Francisco, which is the church that we got the year of biblical literacy from. Uh, He says this about the Christian faith. This is really interesting. He says that there's a lot of roadblocks between Christian faith and secular culture, but there's a lot of ramps. Okay, and this is what he says about this. One of the ramps is the language of good and evil. This language has become absent in the secular world. Okay, and this isn't new, by the way. This isn't new, by the way. If we read through the book of Judges, repeatedly, repeatedly, what does it say? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. We now live in a world where every person does what's right in their own eyes. And we're constantly swinging from extreme to extreme. So he says this, the ramp is the language of good and evil. This language has become absent in the secular world, that there is objective truth about what is good and what is evil. But if you want to talk about the deepest affairs of the heart, only words like sin, soul, and redemption really work. If you don't have those words, you're losing the tools. People don't change because they decide to be better. If that happened, then New New Year's resolutions would work. People decide to change because they elevate their loves. And as St. Augustine said, you become what you love. But if you can't talk about the struggle of sin, if you can't talk about why some loves are higher than other loves, the ordered versus disordered loves, then you don't have the moral vocabulary, the mental toolkit to even think about how to be better. The Christian tradition gives us that. 
Jesus offers freedom from sin and ultimate death. Are we satisfied with less? We all need this confession. Right? And there's so many layers to this story. Think about what Jesus is doing in this story. Okay, Jesus brings this, this need for confession to the surface. When the paralytic uh, comes to him, right, tells his friends, bring me to Jesus, he's confessing his need for healing. Right? I can't walk on my own. Only Jesus can make me walk. And that's a mirror for our souls. Only Jesus can free us from the oppression of paralysis. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can free our souls from the prison that they're in. Dave Lomas, the, the, the pastor at San Francisco Reality, says the main problem humanity has is never their suffering. It's their sin. And Jesus goes to the most important need first. I'm going to read that again. The main problem humanity has is never their suffering. It's their sin. And Jesus goes to the most important need first. If this is true, if we believe this to be true, then how great is that need? Because you guys, we live in a world that is filled with suffering. It is deep. It is profound. And it is agonizing. And if this statement is true, if our main problem is not our suffering, but our sin, then how great is that need? This cannot be overstated. Jesus came to set us free from what's really captivating us. From what's really holding us down. And it cannot be seen with our eyes. One commentator said this, faith is first and foremost not knowledge about Jesus, but active trust that Jesus is sufficient for one's deepest and most heartfelt needs. I think sometimes we don't even know what those are. Right? We're so busy filling ourselves up with the things around us, the things that we want, we don't even recognize what it is we truly need. And sometimes our deepest sufferings are the things that point that out what it is that we're really searching for. Mark chapter 1, there's a story of a leper who crosses all kinds of ceremonial and religious boundaries to get to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and says, will you heal me? And Jesus says, yes, I will. How many boundaries are we willing to cross in order to find healing from Jesus? Mark 5, there's a woman who has uh, been bleeding for 12 years and she's unclean and she superstitiously touches Jesus' cloak and immediately she's healed. And Jesus' response to her as he feels power go out of his coat, turns around and says, who touched me? And she says, I did. And he says what? Your faith has made you well. Luke 7, there's a sinful woman, probably a prostitute. She invades a Pharisee's house a big no-no, breaks open a bottle of unbelievably expensive perfume, pours it on Jesus' feet and weeps and washes His feet and dries His feet with her hair. Verse 48 in Luke chapter 7, Jesus says this, And He said to her, Your sins are forgiven. 
And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How desperate are we for this healing? Jesus can do any kind of healing He wants. How desperate are we for the deepest kind of healing? Or are we satisfied with less? Your greatest need is to be forgiven of your sin. My greatest need is to be forgiven of my sin. As followers of Jesus, as we sing these songs, we sing these songs in celebration of the fact that that has already happened. And we continually return to Him. Why? Because He is the giver of life. He gives us the water of life. He gives us the bread of life. That is Himself. And so we return to Him week after week, day after day. This is why we're pushing you guys to be in the Word, to read your Bibles, because we want you to know Jesus. Last night I spent a few hours at a memorial service for the wife of a good friend. And as he preached and shared about his wife's life and preached the Gospel, he said there's a big story between knowing the story of Jesus and knowing Jesus Himself. Are we coming to Jesus because we want what He can offer? A.K.A physical healing and full bellies or are we coming to Jesus because we have nowhere else to go and only he only he can give us what we need what we truly need that's the question that I have to ask myself and that's the question that you have to ask yourself why are we coming to Jesus he has the ability to heal us at the deepest level I'm going to pray for us right now and we're going to worship some more. And as we do, I just want us to respond to this question. Do I want what Jesus really has to offer? And how desperate am I for that? What am I willing to go through in order to receive that? He offers it to us freely. Father, we love You. And Lord, we come before You today Broken, needy, poor. We come before you as sinners. Unable to heal ourselves. Unable to pull ourselves up. Unable to give ourselves new life. We come to you, Jesus, because you can do that. We come to you because we believe you are the only one who gives us that life, who gives us that healing. And we ask you again, Father, forgive us. Heal us. Restore us. We are so unbelievably grateful for your love and for your grace, for your healing. And we also declare today, Father, that we will continue to pray for physical healing, for emotional healing, and for spiritual healing. Because we know that You are capable. You are God. And as Jesus said, when, or as Peter said, when Jesus said 
to him, will you go away as well? He said, where will we go? You alone have the words of life. Jesus, where would we go? Who would we possibly go to other than you? You are the healer. We thank you and we love you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.